All right, guys, we're on to another episode of MC Anime Podcast. And today we have a special a- a- episode. You want to discuss it? Absolutely. So today we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to, well, we decided to start up talking about elemental powers that are in anime. And our first one up has to do with Earth. So everything from like Earth bending to kind of controlling things from sand and dirt. Uh, so we have four characters that we have picked out who are kind of iconic for their earth-wielding abilities. So we've got Diane from Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, is it Juranikis? Juranikis, yes. Yeah, from yeah. Fairy Tale. We've got Toph from Avatar, and Blasted then we have, mm-hmm. and then we have Gara from Naruto. So. It's really interesting how Earth is portrayed in many different types of elements. Because within Earth, it's the ability to manipulate the ground or bend, use the element in a certain way to fight with it. That is what your theaters use. So, do you have any classic examples of uh, how? Earth manipulation that you've first seen access of? What, you mean like in the animes that I've seen? Anime characters that have that ability, what happens? I mean, yeah, I like, of course, you know, the characters that we have listed are all great examples of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Like Diane, I think is the perfect one because you see it in different ways. You usually see it with either someone using a weapon or a staff that kind of is the source, like the way that they form the manipulation. And then you see you have people who are like Gara and Toph who do freehand, where it's just them moving the earth itself. They don't need an additional item in order to get the, the ground to shake or move or bend or twist. And it is different than when you see it in like the big fights and like Shonen Jump or whatever. Mm-hmm. Where when people punch things or like punch the ground, hit up a big piece of earth and then hit it at their opponent is different from that. Like actual earth bending yeah. is just using the earth itself in whatever form it's in. And usually when you have the power of manipulate earth, you have the solid manipulation and the classical element manipulation. Also, it's not going to be confused with the planet earth. The planet earth is a totally different concept. For example, like in anime, we have Breath of Stone, the Earth Arts, Earth Bending, Earth Control, Earth Element Control, Earth Release, Dinkai or Terranine Physiology, Geokinetic, Kinetic, Terokinetic, and Subterra, Create, Shape, and Manipulate. And let's see, the users can create, shape, manipulate, and also, earthen elements, including most solid objects, minerals, dirt, etc. Mm-hmm. And there's also yeah. like uh, sub users like metal bending, um, sand bending. The main manipulation of earth itself is mostly rocks and elements of rocks, like minerals and different things on the scientific table. Yeah. And 
while while in all these animes that we're going to talk about and for all these characters, yeah. um, like how you mentioned, the Earth itself is not a active user of this device. Like the Earth itself is not a character within these shows. You do have different games, different shows that yeah. like will have the Earth, like Mother Gaia, um, like as a living organism that gives either mana or spiritual energy to its followers or to the people that pray to it. That's yeah. not what we're talking about today. Today we're talking about people <laughs> just with the ability, like just the supernatural ability to bend the earth to their will and use it mm-hmm. in either uh, offense or defense or just convenience. So I guess we could start off with uh, with Diane from Seven Deadly yes. Sins. So now, what does Diane? Di- is oh gosh! So for anyone that doesn't know who Diane is. She's from Seven Deadly Sins, and she's a member of the giant clan race, specifically. And they have an Earth affinity. That's their power. It's affinity mm-hmm. with Earth and use it in combat and control different elements in battle to their advantage. Yeah, so for Diane, within the premise of the show, so Seven De- Deadly Sins is about the group, uh, the Seven Deadly Sins, they are magical knights that protect, I believe it's Leonis is yes. uh, the country that they protect. Um, and then there's like a big scandal. They go on a run, they disappear, they come back, but they all have different abilities and different almost magical elements to them. So with Diane and her place in the group, uh, she is kind of like a tape. So yeah. she she's great at defense. She's great at long distance attacks because she's able to um, create spikes from the ground. She's able to create pillars, chuck boulders. And then she also has a giant hammer that's on her back that she also uses within her attacks and also in creating like these these figures from the ground. So yeah. when you watch the show, you don't see her doing any hand signs. There's no sigils. There's no chanting or anything like that. It's literally kind of like old school, like OG Pokemon kind of way. She just like she announces what the attack name is um, and then just immediately does it. There's no incantations. There's yeah. none of that. She, her, her people and, just have the ability to be in tap with the earth. And it's important to know that the giant clan who has the deep connection with nature which is basically that same connection which enables Diane to manipulate the Earth. This ability is called creation. They exclusively have this ability to be in the giant clan, and it really plays into other giants having the ability. So Diane's not the only giant that has Earth affinity. If we see, she manipulates lots of Earth at once, and also use it in different ways, but typically creation is exclusive to the giants. Now, I really like the connection to the Earth. That, it's like, really interesting to me. What do you think about that? The giant race in itself and their connection well, the to the giant, Earth? Well, they're, they're, they have the ability creation. Mm-hmm. But they also have this special deep connection to the Earth as its itself. So I when mean, you typically think of giants, you don't really think of uh, Earth 
being the you connection. Know? I mean, you think of tremors and shaking the earth when they walk. I don't know, because, like, see, I grew up with, like, Tolkien, and mm -hmm. if you're growing up with, like, fantasy books, to me, I can absolutely relate giants. I would say, like, giants, trolls, gnomes, dwarves, uh, uh, hobbits. Eddie, like all of those, I absolutely see be having a close connection with the earth just because they just, they naturally fit in with nature. Um, this is like, like with towering trees or mountains. That's what I think of when I think of giants. Well, also, most giants typically, even if they don't have the power over earth, their status is the equivalent of throwing huge boulders, knocking down structures you know, breaching the wall kind of thing. So, in, them, in themselves, they are four of nature, and I think the creation power and connection to the earth in Seven Deadly Sins reflects some of that force of nature mentality. Well, I mean, within Seven Deadly Sins, like, there's other characters, like, um, like you have King, who yeah. is, like, the fairy king, and his people mm -hmm. are more like forestation, yeah. uh, trees, nature, and flowers. So whenever I think of fantasy creatures, I always think of them in relation to nature and how just naturally with evolution and time, we, we have found so many strange and amazing different unique creatures and species out there. That's kind of how I see it when you, you add fantasy to it. So giants mm -hmm. are just another thing that come from the earth and live within the earth or live on the earth. And so they, they reflect elements of that. So while fairies yeah. may be re like reminiscent of flowers and more delicate yeah. things, I definitely see giants like, uh, like mountains or trees or like, you know, giant rolling hills yeah. because that's just their size and they're, they're awe inspiring and they're very large. So naturally, whether they're doing something on the defense or offense, um, it's going to be very large too. So I think it goes perfectly hand in hand. Oh yeah, and uh, Diane's special ability is Drollo's dance. It's a technique created by the giant king Drolle, and by performing such dance, not only do they get a heightened power, but it, it really increases their natural connection to the earth. So they draw power from the earth through the dance. Able to increase connection to the earth while increasing the power level at the same output. Master mm -hmm. the technique after drone's trial. So that is a technique that's learned. Not every giant knows it. So knowing the technique and using the technique provides greater affinity with the earth than what they already have. So that is the special rendition of the dance effects on the user. Mm -hmm. I can't, I kind of remember if in the show how many times we see that one, because she has some, like, there are some really common ones that she does with her yeah. smash. Um, and then they do introduce some other giants as well who yeah. do have, like, different reflecting abilities and different strengths. 
So I know that's that's kind of like for the later seasons. You do learn a bit more about her background, but it's unlike some of like uh, the other characters who we have that we have featured. Every single one of them has like a different background in a way that their power is like intertwined within their life. And like Diane, she was just born with this ability. It wasn't something graced to her Mm. upon birth. It's just she's a giant, so she has this natural. this natural influence when it comes to manipulating the ground, dirt, earth, rocks, all of that. And so also, she's cool. I like her. Yeah. She also has a natural treasure called Gideon. And Gideon's the base, the giant warhammer that we see that she wields. Mm-hmm. And it weighs about 2,200 pounds. But it also allows her to do the full capability of her ability creation. So it's not only is it a weapon of a choice, but it's also specifically suited for her to bring out the most that she can do at one time. Yeah. I mean, while I, I do like, uh, I like it for the fact that it has like a, almost like a D&D feel to it. It has mm-hmm. an enhancement feature that makes it make sense why a giant would need a hammer of that size besides it looking cool when you're looking at the comic. So I think, I think it's interesting how it increases for her. And then because throughout seven deadly sins, the people that they have to face off with, you see them over time. Like they do become stronger, every single member of the team. And they just show you like, I think they, I think it's their power level. They call it in the show. And, um, Diana definitely has a difference of whether or not she has her hammer with her uh, or if she's just bare knuckling it through a fight. Yeah, that, you know, she has the ability not only with it and natural affinity with it. It really brings into question how, you know, her power level compares to other giants and her role as a Seven Devinson, Seven Devin, that Seven, okay. Whatever. Seven Deadly Sins. Seven Deadly Sins. Yes. Seventy, yeah. is a great choice for you guys. Um, but it really creates not only the knighthood aspect, but also the giant connection, connection to the earth and creation in Gideon. It provides her as a strong willed character that is that is a female base. I also feel like it creates so much interesting dialogue in telling of Diane as her character. Because so much is important to the giant race and how it's all connected. Kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, they had the deep connection to the earth and the magic kind of ability. If you think uh-huh. of a fantasy, you usually think, well, my magic is associated with this and another character that has the magic affinity with us is uh, Jiraiya Nikis. Yeah, from Fairy Tale. Now, Fairy Tale is never a show that I personally got into. I know it's I know it's really popular um, along like anyone who probably watches Naruto, One Piece, uh, probably watched Bleach, any of the classics. Probably also watched uh, Fairy Tale. I watched like Hunter X Hunter. I don't know why I never really got into fairy tale, but I I've seen a little bit of um for Jura. Yeah. You just don't like magic. You just like the 
the yin users from Unto X Hunter. I see how what? it is. You're biased. You like yin, nin. You like the nin users instead of magic users. I know. The way that I love JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, that statement <laughs> can never be true. No, but I mean, I actually yeah. have, I, when I think about it, I think when I saw Fairy Tale, I think I just wasn't interested because of the name. I think that was literally it. I, it had nothing else to do with the show, nothing about the characters. But everyone says that if there's one show that is like the power of friendship is what's going to like prevail, it's Fairy Tale. Um, and I know that uh, Juronikis is in the show quite a bit. Like he's a he's a pretty big yeah. character. So, um, did you want to go ahead and like get into his abilities yeah. and, and basically who he is in the show? Yeah. For uh, and for anyone that doesn't know who he is, a statement that he says: the quality of the magic itself is in in material. He who has the sh the stronger convention will always prevail. Um. He's a former mage of the Lamina Scale Guild and one of the Ten Wizard Saints. He's known uh -huh. for his achievements, accomplishments of Earth Magic, which under him the ick, ick nickname Iron Rock Jora. He, he was elected to reform the destroyed Magic Council along the other side of the Ten Wizard Saints. And keep in mind the scale level of the the ten wizard saints are basically the greatest practitioners at that time of that particular magic or particular abilities when they form the ten wizards council or the magic council they are the guardians or maybe the representatives that go to the governed bodies and have all these different diplomatic like Negotiations? It's it's kind of weird, but basic gist is not only does the magic council get destroyed, he has to be employed in that moment to defend it and also fight the invading force that's stuffing it at that time. But he's seen throughout the show through his stance as a tenth one of the ten saints. Yeah. And the leader of Fairy Tale um, is also a saint as well. So the founder of the of the guild is also a member of the Ten Saints as well. And his magic is basically tiny body into a giant. He's like he has to hide his magic away until he uses it. Mm -hmm. But back to him, um, very tall. Massive with heavily muscular figure, bald head. Uh, he wears a lot of black marks around the eyes, and you know, he uh, no, he yeah. also has a lot of momentary, momentary disappearance of Tenero Island. Um, he has remained the same, only different being long and thin. So it's really interesting to see. How he plays the role as a like a, like a guardian or protector kind of thing. How you think his caliber of being a ten one of the ten saints in the magic area of fairy tale exists? What do you mean? Like okay, so his status as a ten one of the ten saints. 
What does that say yeah. about his character? Well, we already know he's incredibly strong. Like well, yeah. he, like even within the show, because he te- he tells everyone that he's like the weakest of the ten saints, but yeah. he does beat the ass of other saints. Like he is super strong. Um, and I think it's the same as like with Diane and being in mm-hmm. the seven deadly sins. Like if you are in, for, for first off, anyone that's in an organization. Like anyone that has like a group, a aspire to be in group, uh, they've earned that title in some way. I mean, of course, you have people who like, you know, uh, what was it, King, uh, from the Heroes Association in One Punch Man. He like he just got there because people assumed he was doing stuff, so he just faked his way to the top. But for for someone like Jura, um, and someone like Diane. They have these abilities. They are insanely strong. And I mean, even the attacks and feats that you've seen in mm-hmm. fights for Jura proves that he didn't he didn't get brought into the organization because, you know, yeah. someone someone just slipped up a little bit. Like he yeah. he can do things from avalanches to creating those pillars. Uh he can literally deflect attacks by raising enough earth. He does very powerful hammering attacks back. You yeah. can create like a rock mountain that's like almost in the shape of a Gundam suit. Like he <laughs> he has amazing abilities. And honestly, in regards, like if we were to stab him even just now, I would definitely say he's probably stronger than Diane uh, from what mm. I've seen him do compared to what I've seen Diane do up, up till now, like in Seven Deadly Sins on the show. True. Um. Yeah, no, he he absolutely earns his place in being <laughs> with the ten of them. That there's no doubt about it. And he's also just like, you know, he's like a very strong, like a very morally strong character. His complete belief about if your will is stronger than your opponent's, it doesn't matter how great their magic is, and it doesn't matter how much they think they're better than you. If you if your conviction is stronger, you're going to win the fight. And I mean. Like, Buddy's held to that. Like, he's 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 got he's got something going on because he's doing a yeah, great I, job. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and also, with owning the name Iron Rock Jaw, so he's able to make his ability in Iron seem like like so. For example, uh, he's been he's been described as being making the tiniest sand as tough as iron. Thus, the name Iron Rock Jaw. And with that alone, if you take just the sand particle and enforce it in a greater formation of that iron principle, you actually get into his uh, one of his good techniques, which is the iron rock wall, which you can put up mm-hmm. several rocks of a similar size, all being equivalent to iron, slowing down opponent's attack, or uh, maybe even. Using for defense and awesome offensively, they can propel the rocks forward if you had great magic left to propel it forward as an attack. So it's basically the impenetrable set of pit bowling pins that you cannot knock down because the bowling ball goes to the side or doesn't hit directly, doesn't hit everything. There's always that one pin that stays up and it's so frustrating. Because you can't hit it. That's the formality that he has. 
if one rock is standing and it prevent most of the blast or several rocks standing, then the iron rock wall is doing its job in that in that way. And then we also have the continuous formation, which is a lot more than just the rock wall itself. It's all around them. Rock Avalanche, Supreme King Rock Crush, which is kind of interesting. Fist, Rock Mountain. So, ooh, Rumbling Mount Fuji. <laughs> oh, my. What do you think of Rumbling Mount Fuji? Um, it sounds like a, like a themed like a themed dish that you would probably get like at a Chili's or something. Because it's just <laughs> such a ridiculous freaking name. <laughs> like, it is, honestly, I wouldn't care even if I lost to someone who used that. I'm like, stupid. Stupid name. <laughs> stupid name for an attack. I want you to know that. <laughs> I don't care. You win. No. It's great for you, but it's still stupid. Let's see. As he does, the area is immediately in front of him, struck by intense release of magic power, surging from the ground, Wreaks on havoc on anything it touches, rising up, and reduce it to small pieces. So, you know, it's really... Oh! When he did this at the Grand Festival, he earned 8,544 points when they were doing the Magic Power Finder. And he actually got outclassed by the ultimate attack by Fairy Glitter. But that's just a fun fact. You have to watch the show and see the different ox they have. and Like, he shows up, and that's one aspect that he shows up trying to do his power in a contest of who has the most powerful attack. And he gets beat, he gets outclassed by someone else. But that's yeah. irrelevant. Um, him as a character, he portrays what strength is, the will to fight, and overall, a a demeanor that is not only respected by the opponent, because the opponent will eventually learn the value and the value that he fights with, but also the determination that he brings to the fight and how seriously he treats it. Yeah, because, I mean, he has a great, like, uh, his personality is something I know people love, because he's, he's a super modest guy, but he's intensely loyal He's intensely driven, um, like just a really like just a really dope manly guy who has great principles that he follows through with, and he also has the power to do so, which I think makes it a lot better too. Mm. Uh, so I think him as an overall character, just from what I've seen um, and read up on, I think yeah. I think it would probably be really cool to see him actually in battle against someone that he thinks is total scum. Um, <laughs> Total think that'd be great. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Like every anyone who's ever like, you know, morally, morally aligned and like they normally choose the right direction when they do stuff. And they have a strong moral code, and they have to go up against someone who, of course, is like evil or their opposition that they really hate. You get to see them like not just do that modest stuff anymore. They really devote themselves. To crushing their enemy, and I want to see that. That's what I love to see. True. If you crush the the opponent's drive to fight, then you can basically win the fight to do brute force, power mm -hmm. through it. But he's more than just powering through it. He ain't just a macho type of guy. He has 
the strategy and the technique to back it up. So he's not the little chihuahua, yeah, yap, 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 yap. He's literally the, what we call, the all-around wolf howling in the distance. You know that from the distance, you know the wolf is dangerous, but you also know there's like a majestic feeling when you hear the howling at night in the full moon. It also goes to show you, not only is he able to create the stature that he fights with and the values, but he owns the place in the Ten Saints and the Magic Council because of this attitude towards magic, the discipline that he has, and overall fortitude to keep doing this every single time. You know? I am I am gonna throw a disclaimer out because I haven't watched the show. I have no idea if you're just saying spoilers. I have no idea if these are like big competitions that are like several episodes long. So uh, the, the if you spoiled just, anything, a, I have no the, idea. The competition is a tournament arc. That's not really a spoil because I haven't really said why there's a tournament arc. Why he's I'm just there. I'm just all I said was he for example He's using this to the level to show his power of the tap. Okay. I, yeah. All I'm saying is, like, if anyone comments, they're like, bro, I haven't finished it yet. Why would you tell me this? I didn't know he placed second or whatever, seventh or something. I'd be like, I had no idea. He didn't. I, the, no, I, had no idea. I didn't. I forgot how what he what he placed in. I forgot what the placement was. But that's that was like. Irrelevant because I was just using it as a moment to say, "Oh yeah, this and this and this." And the tournament arc is him doing this, but this is one appeal of seeing him. It was just kind of funny to throw out there. All right, so let's spoilers. He was not the only player that was doing it. There was all the players doing the contest of strength. Again, he just went along not, with it. I have not seen it, so I. I, all, all I know is that if I <laughs> when I get there, I'm just going to pretend to be surprised that I see him. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but no, I think like from what everything that I saw from him, he has I would say he has some of the cooler acts that I've probably seen um, for uh, an Earth user or Earth wielder. Like how he makes his formations and how he has these combinations of of like attacks and defenses, I think is a one. He's he definitely has the skill set to be in this group. And speaking oh. of tough as iron, what's another thing that can be tougher than iron? Metal, right? No, what, no. Iron as tough as it is, it can be bended to shape and escape. This is your transition. Yes. <laughs> we'll get him next time, Sam. <laughs> No, you can save and escape from the what we okay. So you can escape from in which the iron is in front of you, and as a result, be a person of a metal bindle class like off. Off from Avatar: The Last Airbender. That's a good transition. What are you talking about? It was. It was. It was a transition. It was a transition. It was, we got there, you know. Well, yeah, because you made it more complicated, so I went more in detail. You didn't have to go in detail. We could have just 
we could have just let her just let her just let her walk in. <laughs> but I appreciated the effort of trying to make that one work. It's um, awesome. It worked. We're here. We made it. Uh, we made it to our destination. <laughs> we made it to now we're at uh yeah, Avatar Last Airbender, Toph. I would have to say Toph out of everyone on this list is probably probably the most well known, I would say, out of all the Earth users, just because everyone, as far as I know, has either heard of Avatar The Last Airbender, um, or just seen it. Um and then there, of course, there's Legend of Korra, where she comes back again when she's older. But also Toph, I think, out of everyone on this list as well, has, I think, the uniqueness of her character also being blind. So for anyone who hasn't uh, checked out Avatar Last Airbender, it is an American uh, cartoon uh, following the story of... It's a it's a really good it's a, it's a yeah. really good anime series that has anime elements into the martial arts of the Chinese culture. So. Yeah, so essentially, the Earth is um, everyone. Everyone on Earth has some type of ability from you, whether you're able to manipulate water, earth, fire, or air. Um, the Avatar can do all four, and normally there is a new Avatar for each generation and. You know, everything was going well. And then the Fire Nation attacked. Uh, the yep. Fire Nation, they decided to take over um, rather than continue living in unity with the other countries. And so the Avatar disappeared. There was no one to stop them. And 100 years later, Aang, who is the new Avatar, or was the Avatar at that time and then um, got frozen in ice, yeah. he had now gone through a journey of learning all the other elements because he only is able to do airbending when he's first introduced. And he nice. learns earthbending from Toph, who is a, a staple in the heart of almost everybody who loves anime. Oh, yeah. And Toph is a really interesting character. Um, she's, you know, able to, in the blind nature, she learns the ability of earthbending through the teachers of the mold. Basically, the original Earthbenders in that universe. And you want to talk more about that? Ooh. Well, all right. So, the Earthbenders, yeah. um, for Toph, live. Yes, so they live underground. Um, and the thing about Toph that is uniquely different is because not only is she just blind, but her Earthbending gives her to the ability to use essentially echolocation and yeah. bounce the vibrations from the ground to find her targets, which is why she's so revolutionary when you see her fight in battle, because, because she has ability. Yes, she did. She does not have her sight, but it's not as if she can't see anything at all. And yeah. she's also snarky. She's also very funny, but she does use um, the vibrations of the ground around her to find yeah. where people land when they're moving to find um, the dimensions of a room and what she can use to go ahead and use as an attack or um, use to defend herself. So her being under, like, uh, like when they first meet her, yeah. were, were they still underground when they first met her? Um, I can't remember. They met, I think they met her in the Badgermole arc. No, she was un underground fighting. That's what she was. Yeah, I was like, I think she was still underground. Um, 
And well, she was referring to the underground is basically she was fighting in illegal fighting that basically the people would gamble, and if they will win, they get a lot amounts of money. And you know that's similar to like illegal boxing or any other spectator sport that has to be hidden from whatever government or country at the time to basically the underground. That's how we should call it. Mm-hmm. And also, I think with Toph, it's very striking that not only was the teacher was an animal. There's a lot of times animals as teachers and humans learning from the animals or being the originators of that niche skill doesn't happen very often. And anime is a story that you can explore that origin and connection to the badger moles. And I also one aspect that she has an advantage of the badger moles is the badger moles are also blind themselves. They're very yeah. they have very poor eyesight. So but they can earthen. Yes, they can earthbend, and they're the original earthbenders, and humans over time learned through the access of earthbending through them, just like the bisons for airbending, dragon for fire, and I, what is, I forget what water is. I, I forgot which animal did water. Well, that's irrelevant. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. Um. So yeah, she goes on the journey with Aang, and as a result, becomes the earthbending teacher. Aang's the pupil, and she's trying to teach him how to do it. And the the reason why Earth was more difficult than learning. No, here we had what? Yeah, water. Bending is that water bending you can be flowing while earth you have to use the environment around you to get a grasp. So, with uh-huh. earth, you have to not only do like specific stances and be, imagine the rock moving to your bending agent, but also imagine the technique and the framework. To do so. Yes. So what you take from earth bending that's different from other bending yourself personally? From the different element building bendings or in comparison to the other people in the group? Bending. Just earth bending in general. Um I mean with earthbending in general, I it's 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 that middle between like how we said earlier, the earth mm-hmm. is it we don't we don't use the earth as a character itself, but in yeah. Avatar the elements are alive and they do have energy within them. So those who use earthbending are essentially feeling the life force of the earth. So when I when I do think of it in that way, I think of it has a bit more of a heavier stance to it. Than maybe how I would see it, probably in like Seven Deadly Sins or in Fairy Tale, 
Um, and then compared to the other elements, I would probably say either air bending or uh, water bending is more dangerous, in my opinion. Um, because that's just something that can, the, the way that they've been developed can definitely do more damage. I think than probably earth bending, but it's a powerhouse. And then she went on to develop metal bending and creating that art form as an offering from earth bending. So yeah. it's, it's highly intense. And it's really cool to think about the idea of being able to move the ground beneath your feet um, and make it, and then they, and also they're not just making it into like uh, pillars or boulders to check yeah. at people making them into like like if you want to make a statue if you're trying to make like daggers or you know spears to throw at someone you're able to do that with it and yeah. having that precision i think and seeing it from top point of view yeah. makes it that much cooler awesome. and also with earth bending and avatar we had sand building sand bending mm -hmm. as a sub element of earth um the metal bending that Toph creates also, we have uh, what we call lava bending, which is like a, a bending of earth and fire in one. So it's a special technique that's combined of two different bending, and it's a very extreme mastery. It's a very rare bending ability in Avatar Universe. Just like the lightning bending as well is also as, as rare as uh, lava bending. And blood bending. That's another yeah. one that's also really rare. You know, for Team Avatar, they have a very skilled fighter. Because of such a young age, she proven just more than a prodigy. She is one of the great earthbenders of her time. Now, at that time, those other great earthbenders and Avatar The Last Airbender but we see her growth as a character into Korra, the next installment of the Avatar series. So her character builds from that and it goes into different aspects that way as well. Yeah, so what do you um, think of the um, transition of Toph of the Avatar, Team Avatar, in the younger days? You mean her transition to Korra? No, they're just typically what did she give to the team that set alone gave them the advantage? Well, she taught Aang how to earth, and that was pretty oh, yeah. important. Like, it be the avatar. Yeah. <laughs> she taught him how to earth, man. and mm -hmm. I mean, just outside of earth, she also just teaches like how to be intuitive. Yeah. And also kind of like ingenuity and problem solving. So from like having mm -hmm. a difficulty of not being able to see, um, but being able to earthbend. Like when she was five and ran away from home and discovered uh, the, what are they, like the moles or whatever. Um, and the animals, because they were blind as well. So she felt a connection to them and that's how she learned to earthbend. That's how she had her first start. So, and then when she was captured in Avatar The Last Airbender and was being kind of yeah. like dragged back home, yeah. she found a way to bend the metal in the cage 
yep. um, and focus herself and actually find a new solution that no no one else had been doing. Like we hadn't been seeing yeah. metal bending at all prior to in the show. So yes. when I think about Toph, mm-hmm. I don't think about her just teaching him. It's not like getting a badge yeah. like you do in Pokemon. Um, mm-hmm. It's more than that where she shows you that, yeah, this may seem like you could just do a straight path solution. But sometimes yeah. you have to make like divergence. Sometimes you have to yeah. make your own solution with what you already have. And they they keep going forward with that. That's yeah. how we got Bendy, you know? Like oh, yeah. that's how Not that's how bending. we saw these great these yeah. great masterful like fights happen where people yeah. are like, Yeah, let's not just do the same old thing. I'm gonna lose if I do that. And I oh, think yeah. that came from tough. And one aspect of the metal bin that she did, she found that those elements of iron, those elements of earth in the metal that is forged. So you can actually take the small elements and eventually if you have the will, you can if you focus on the elements, you focus on the bending itself. You can bend it in practice and use it to you in fighting, which we see a lot when she was actually taking on um, bent, like only a bender to ever bend metal during the Hundred Year War. Even the Avatar was unable to perform since the origin of earthbending. She also... When they were breaking into the Earth Kingdom, the Fire Nation, to have a, str- a stronghold into the Earth Kingdom at that time, she was very pivotal to stop the machinery that was going to drill into the wall itself. And she used metal bending to do so. So I think she's very pivotal in the Avatar gang. The demeanor she gives, overall, you know, the the willingness to fight, even though there's not much, there's a lot to lose that they lose in that moment. So the continuation and the binding agent, how water binds to sand, is really interesting in that aspect. Which now we go into Gala from Naruto. What's your comments about Gala from Naruto? I mean, I love Gara. Like, I loved him when I was younger as a kid. Reading the actual, like, reading the manga is where I started first with Naruto. And... So you said you're crushing on Gara. What? You said you were crushing on Gara. Oh, I had a huge crush on Gara. Him and Shikamaru. <laughs> like, some people <laughs> wanted like a big, like a big titty goth girlfriend, and I was like, <laughs> Gara was the equivalent of that for me. I was like, "Ooh, I can fix him. Oh, we can we we can do this together. He's I can do this. He just needs me to like make it better." He was so angsty when you first meet him, and like now the way he is, uh, Leah and Gara ship together to put them in a relationship. You don't that that doesn't have to stop my love. Like <laughs> you can be all unsupportive, but. The heart wants what it wants. No, but I absolutely love Gara. I yeah. like his transition. Um, I do kind of feel like when we got to Shippuden, um, and then like I felt like in Shippuden he kind of fell off a bit from how he was how how hard they introduced him, and then like had in the later episodes in the later arcs he wasn't he wasn't as hard hitting as he used to be. 
Like, I think he had been saved, like, a few times by, like, Naruto or Lee and other characters. But I still absolutely love Gara. I'm glad he's, like, planting flowers and, and crap and, like, has a son or whatever. Uh, but his introduction into Naruto is during the tune-in exams. So I, I personally <laughs> am not going to explain Naruto to you guys. If you have even heard of anime, you've probably heard of Naruto. If you haven't heard of him and you play Fortnite, he's coming to Fortnite. Like, yeah, you, I saw that the yeah. other day. That was super strange to me. It's like, why? What? No, who cares? I get to shoot Naruto. Naruto, the the ninja games was enough. I don't need Fortnite, which is the weird fashion wow. of the culture of gaming. That's not nah. doesn't make any sense in, in any scenario. They said we are putting everyone in this freaking game, so Naruto is gonna have a gun, like a blicky well, with a sticky, no, and we're shooting people. And I'm sorry, that's that's my Nindo way. You're just gonna have to deal with it, buddy. That's like, your ninja way is going on. That's, that's not your I'm ninja just saying, way. I'm just saying, way. I'm just saying that Naruto could have wrapped up a lot faster if he just shot Sasuke into like kneecap or something. Like he can't leave now. The whole show okay, was about okay. Sasuke leaving. We could have stopped. Really, anyway. uh, interesting about this. Yeah. <laughs> is this shin- okay, so anyone that doesn't know what Naruto is, it's the Shimba- Shinobi type class system. Ninjas, Jinjitsu, Taijitsu, Genjitsu are all elements of the world building of Naruto. And throughout it is the theme of Tail Beast. Gaara is the Jachuriki of the one-tailed. And, and when he is the Jachuriki, he's holding this spirit inside him that the land of the sand can actually use in particular war if they so deem so. So, so he's a vessel for this, yeah. for this monstrous spirit that lies with inside him. And he has a similar uprising as Naruto in isolating in the village and people around him and the personal effects. But that that's on that's the limited application of it, I should say. Yeah, so essentially for Gara, because he's the only person on this list that in regards to um Earth wielders and people who use the elemental magic of Earth. His is most unique because he is known for sand. His village and where he grew up in is the village of sand. Um, everything, as you can suspect, is like kind of like Las Vegas. Uh, yeah. Outside of Las Vegas, is no casinos, just sand, just dirt. So and what Gara stays in Las Vegas? What happens, <laughs> yeah. happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Um, not not for Gara though. So when he was born. <laughs> Um, he was, just like Naruto, he did have a demon placed inside of him. And, and in similarity with Naruto, he was ostracized. He grew up with no friends. He did have, like, essentially siblings whose only job was to kind of keep him in check. Uh, but honestly, everyone knew that if Gara got out of hand and he let his demon take over, that he could massacre everyone. So when he's introduced in the tuning exams with siblings um, on their team... He is incredibly dangerous. Like, I think the first, like, the first or second time you see him on the TV, 
someone tries to mess with him, I think like even like before everything's supposed to start up, he he does kill people. And he has a giant gorg that sits on his back, um, which is a part of his iconic look. It has uh, uh, words inscribed on it. And he also has a tattoo like on his forehead that yeah. is right there on his part. And I believe it's hate. Is that what it is? The I kanji so, on yeah. his forehead is hate. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, they had to really hammer down that yeah. no one loved this man. And so yep. his look, pale skinned, bright red hair, um, and then very raccoon out like outlined eyes, blue eyes, and he has a very, very hostile, very threatening demeanor. I know you mentioned like a wolf earlier, uh, when talking mm -hmm. about Jura. I would say that uh Gara kinda has more of the badger. representation of like a scorpion. No, he's I think he's a honey badger. badger. He's a demeanor of a honey badger, highly aggressive, very voluntary. No, a honey badger. A honey badger goes out for a fight. Gara is like you see, but a honey badger. When you look oh, at true. it, you don't think. Oh, okay, yeah. You don't think that it's violent. A scorpion, you can very clearly see the thing that it uses mm -hmm. as a weapon. So, like the tail so of the scorpion. Okay, the You you on the menacing appeal? Okay, and we see Gara, you know, in the shooting exam. You know, those different aspects of the fighting and the the siblings also participating in his team. Also, the, the first major conflict involving Gala is the the continued educate education of you know the fight with Rock Lee and how the education of him being agitated went to a really strong scene of Naruto versus Gaul in that aspect, and how Gaul transformed afterwards, after the fight, his demeanor changes a lot more with Naruto, quote-unquote, headbutting for the finish to do it. Yeah. So we don't have, like, I don't want to explain mm. it, like, the actual fight between Naruto and Gara, yeah. just because in case anyone hasn't seen it, go ahead it's, and check it, it out. It's a really good like, fight scene that we it's, see. It's one of the best ones, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, it's, but, it, it really goes into the level of understanding of Naruto and Gara being similar. That really plays a, that just plays in any fight, really. Naruto understanding the enemy and relating to the enemy. So that's the appeal of Naruto in the fight scenes that we see. Through Naruto, Naruto, this is a big building piece, just so you know. You mean the person the show's named after? No! This is a big building piece for Gaara and the fight scene afterwards. This was like a building climax of both characters at that time. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what it was leading up to. Yeah. Because even within the shooting exams, like they have to go against each other. So, and we see his abilities come out mm. in different forms. So, when one thing to recognize that makes Sagara completely different from everybody else on this list is that he, the, the reason he has this ability 
so much so to control Stan um, at the level that he does. It's because he has this demon. He has Shukaku. That's the name of the demon that's inside of him. That's in the Gorg. Um, so when he fights, he actually does transform into this this demonic creature, um, yeah. this very feral uh, creature. And there are plenty of scenes that show him with almost like a half sand body that is growing out into a ferocious beast. So yep. he has he has a sand coffin, which is probably the most brutal one that you're introduced to when you're watching him fight. Um, yeah. Essentially, it's he like for one, the sand moves subconsciously without Gara doing anything because yeah. it is a living extension of himself. So if someone throws punches, uh, weapons, or even tries to you know yeah. um, unalive themselves, you know by bombs, say you know, for example, it, the sand will protect him. It will either yeah. cover him, it will come up as a shield and block it near his face, yep. and it's very, very fast. Kind of yeah, it's extremely fast. Like an alternate defense system in, in case to protect the user. But it, it's like that imaginary wall around you, all of a sudden you build a barrier, and that barrier is the sand protecting you. Um, mm-hmm. Through the you know post in the post of Naruto and Gara, he takes the enlightenment that he receives and he puts it into a leadership position of the fifth Kalikari of the of the Sand Village. This is another tremendous background aspect of his character because he's able to earn the trust of the village that feared him and revealed him as a dangerous threat. It's basically foreshadowing Naruto's goal to be the Hagakage of the of the the leaf the hidden leaf of the of the hidden leaf, yeah. Yeah. The village in the in the leaves. Yeah, so and- I really think overall you know, at first we're introduced to the violent and unpredictable nature, but then we see the change in the protective nature. He becomes more protective of the village. He assumes the role, and now fighting to defend it, to upheld what the position stands for. I mean, we get luckily see his character arc, and you also see kind of a change in how he uses his ability, and also the relationship he ends up having with the demon within him as he comes to like accept more people and realize that he doesn't have to be alone. Yeah, he is the reason why him and Naruto are always great in um the tuning exam art is because while Naruto, you, when you're introduced to him, yes, the two of them did grow up without parents. Um, and loved ones there, they grew up without friends or family, and um, dealt with the hate that came from their village because they had these monsters in them. Uh, but the one thing that I would say would be completely different is that people kept trying to kill Gara way yeah. more than they tried. To, like I think only in like episode one, you see someone like actually almost kill Naruto. Like Aruka Sensei was there to help out. But Gara, you do see a lot of his background, and it's a lot less, you know, 
people passing him by and people overlooking him. Yeah. It was a lot more actively trying to erase this poor boy from existence. Yeah. So I love kind of how they did his redemption arc and they yeah. made him better. And I also just, I just love his ability to use sand to be such a dangerous weapon. Oh, um, yeah. And also make the sand alive, like a literal yeah. sand demon. It's awesome. And, you know, this element of earth, like the earth element is very representative of strength, value, stature, your ability to fight on, and also not only transform the earth literally and physically, but you're also doing it physically in the sense of how people perceive you in fighting. How is the determination going to be a deciding factor in prevailing in the battle? Or even, you know, having a way to protect something beyond yourself. Rising up and doing that climantic journey of the hero taking the sword and being value in battle and winning it in the end. What's your mm-hmm. final uh, final closing arguments about Earth and characters we have mentioned? I think when it comes to Earthbending, it's probably one of the stronger elemental powers that you have such iconic characters for and that their skills are known for that. And I also think that it just is a great representation of the personal like the the own mentality and the strength of someone's own inner self their own um their own inner strength because every single one of these characters that we've mentioned have had very very either sad past or very difficult times as you watch them go forward but their will to live and their determination to at least protect themselves or what's important to them is just as tough as the rocks and boulders that they're chucking at their yeah. enemies and just as, you know, strong and powerful as the inner sand demon that might be residing in them. So oh, yeah. I I love so, everyone that we've mentioned. Yeah. And you know, this concludes our discussion about Earth Raiders in anime, specifically mm-hmm. Diane from Seven Deadly Sins, Javaya Nikius from Fairy Tale, Toph been an album mentioned from the uh, Avatar the Last Airbender, and Gaul from Naruto. I really feel we capture the aesthetic and how the element of Earth is not just throwing boulders. It's the will to fight and being a role model for people around him to set that example and also push on. So this concludes the the 14th episode of the MC Anime Podcast. Thank you for so much for attending and Listen to us go on about how Earth is empowering and enlightening to us. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Thanks for listening. You enjoy.